Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 138 unread books on my shelf. With me, as not always, is my brother Andrew. Hey, I'm always here, I promise. And my husband, Dylan. And I'm always here as well, because I have to be. (laughs) Um, This is all to say that this is the first episode where Toby is not here. And now we can finally say what we really think about him. Because he's definitely not going to listen to this. Definitely not. Hey, Toby. He's stronger than you think he is. Hey, Toby, reach for the stars. You can do it. Don't you guys like it how we all believe in Toby? Toby's the best. Good smack talk, guys. The last update we got from Toby, he hasn't had very good cell service, which to me means he's probably doing something cool. Yeah, I've just been getting random texts from him saying like, are you getting this text? Are you getting this text? Are you getting this text? And I have no idea what he's trying to do. What if he's in a horror movie? Then he'd call. I love the idea of someone in a horror movie just texting someone being like, being murdered. Uh, No worries if you don't get this, but if you could, just come pick me up. (laughs) All right, IDK, bye. (laughs) You up? No, seriously, are you up? (laughs) (laughs) Someone's in my house. (laughs) Uh, Well, Toby, we do miss you, but we're going to do this without you. And we're so happy that Dylan is here to provide us with facts and games and all the fun Toby things that Toby would normally do. Um announcement podcast announcement do 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 we are on the story graph which is a we've talked about it before it was recommended by listener brent it is like goodreads but not from amazon it's a cool black owned app and you can rate and catalog all your books it's more of a cataloging thing than a social networking thing it's kind of hard to find your friends but you guys can be our friends we are the to read list podcast one word at storygraph and you can see all our latest reviews. It's pretty cool because you can do half stars and we find out more about what uh, we like to read. So this is the information I found from Storygraph. Storygraph tells us that we mainly read fiction that is reflective, dark, and emotional. Interesting. Tracks. I do have a lot of emotions. It's true. After that is adventurous and mysterious. Ooh, I am very mysterious. We have read 32 books so far this year, 11,000 pages. But this is when we set it up, so I think we might have read a few more after that. And dun-dun-dun. Child's play. Our biggest genres are young adult, fantasy, mystery, literary, classics, historical, LGBTQ, romance, memoir, horror, and autobiography. At the bottom is sports. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, sports. (laughs) But I, I just thought it was interesting. It's cool to see, you know, this, our stats. Um, I wouldn't have thought of us as reading books that are reflective, but I guess so. Well, maybe not you. I'm incredibly reflective and mysterious and all of the good adjectives we said. How dare. Maybe you should have thought about that a little bit more. You're right. I didn't reflect on it enough. Um, Andrew, do you have any shame to report? I have shame. <gasps> I have shame. I definitely I have definitely shame. definitely have shame. Yeah, no, I got some shame. I, I This is falls into the category of shame that I'm really not ashamed of at all. Um, yeah, yeah. But I bought it, so I got to flaunt it. All right, let's hear it. you know it. what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I have, uh, I purchased, at, I went, well, hey, let's back it up a little bit. Let's have what some of the kids call context. Um, <laughs> so in exploring the new town of Woodstock where Jillian and I are living, um, we, of course, had to check out the local bookstore. And it would have been rude to leave the Golden Notebook bookstore and not have bought a book. Of course. 
Of course. Lo and behold, sitting in the display case was a copy of Long Division by Kiese Lehman. Uh, he's an author. Um, he's most well known for his memoir, Heavy, uh, Heavy, an American memoir. Uh, he also has written um, a book called How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America. Anywho, Long Division is um, a young adult story he wrote, and there's actually quite a story behind it. I won't get into it completely because I don't know all of the ins and outs, but basically, I should say, I know Kiese, uh, he was my advisor in college, we maintained a relationship, and right after I graduated college, he published two books, How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America and Long Division. However, it came out later that the versions that were published then did not reflect his authorial intent. He has since regained the rights and now has republished them. And so there's a new version of Long Division out. um, And you'll know it because it has an amazing cover. It's very colorful, um, kind of floral-ish looking. And that's the version you want to buy. It just recently came out. Um, It has his seal of approval. And I would recommend picking up a copy. So I picked up a copy. And while I have read this in the past, I'm going to consider it as unread because I want to read this version of it. Yeah, I'd be really curious to see how it's different. That's cool. I also didn't know it was YA. That's awesome. Did the old one use Common Core? Is that why they had to stop it? a long division joke. Oh, nerd. <laughs> um, yes. If you pick up a copy of Long Division by Kiese Lehman, pick up the copy that has recently published via Scribner. Awesome. I might steal that book from you. Also, I just want to announce for everyone listening for all our pages that I took a sip of my sparkling water and I just looked at it and it says that it's caffeinated sparkling water. Who knew? Exciting. Oh, wow. Uh, I might have a little shame. Uh-oh. Oh, you... You have some shame, Bailey? This is shocking to me. <laughs> no, so shocking. Wait, you do? So, okay. As you know, we've moved to this place. There's a bookstore like a few blocks away. And we're at the point where it used to be that the coffee shop across the street, they knew my name and that would be the only place that I would go during COVID. And so the only people I could talk to. Now, the local coffee shop is Starbucks. And here's the thing. They don't know me there. But do you know what? At the bookstore, they know my name. So I've been going more often than I should. And I I feel bad not getting a book, as you said, Andrew. So I did get a book. Don't we get Maggie like five books every time we go there? I know. Well, see, that's that's the thing is I'm using Maggie as a cover where it's like, okay, I'll just get a baby book. But okay. So anyway, all this to say is I picked up a book. Andrew, I think you might be interested in this one. It's called All's Well. And it's by Mona Awed, who wrote Bunny, which is also on my list. Um, But All's Well, it just came out brand new. My understanding is it's a a darkly comic story of a theater teacher, a college theater teacher who's trying to put put on All's Well that ends well, but her students are the worst and they want to put on Macbeth instead. Um, But then the teacher is met by some three mysterious strangers and stuff starts to go well for her that wasn't going well before. So we'll see how it turns out, but I've started it and I like it so far. But does it end well? Hard to say. I think you might like it, Andrew. On the cover, it has like a comedy mask, but it's made all out of like prescription pills because the woman suffers from chronic pain. So I thought it was a cool cover. Hey, cool. Yeah, no, it sounds intriguing. Let me know what you think of it. And maybe we can uh, swap long division and all's well. Maybe. We can divide them in half. PEMDAS. (laughs) Dylan, why don't you ask Andrew to introduce his book? I don't want (laughs) to. He's just going to tell me that you read a book anyway. (laughs) Andrew, what book did you read? Can I persuade you to ask me nicer, Dylan? Fine. Andrew, my love, <laughs> did you ever read a book this week? Oh, my dear sweet Dylan, of course <laughs> I read a book this week. For you, anything. <laughs> I, 
I read Persuasion by Jane Austen, now friend of the podcast, Jane Austen. <laughs> friend of the podcast. And I also read it too, but this is your review, Andrew, so I'm persuading you yeah, to so take the Yeah, so if you say lead. anything, <laughs> I'm going to freak out. No, I, I would love to hear what you think. Um, here's a little teaser, not logline, paragraph about Persuasion. Jane Austen's final completed novel, Persuasion, is a tale of assumptions, assuming what others are thinking, assuming you're not good enough, assuming things possibly can't be as they seem. Full of twists, turns, loves, and flirtations, this work of Austen's is a satisfyingly different take on many of her classic tropes. Good work. Boom. Kaboom. Kablawi. Um, and so to give you a little more like plots to grasp onto, this uh, the heroine of our book is Anne Elliot, the middle child of three sisters. Um, the older sister Elizabeth is unmarried um, and kind of the worst. I was going to say, and the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and the absolute worst. And her younger sister Mary is um, married and also the worst, but kind but of in the best. the best way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and her father is also the worst. Um, <laughs> they're from a rich family that is not doing well in terms of managing their money. So uh, they're nobles. Um, he has a, a baronet, but cannot afford to keep up this massive house. So the instigating incident of this is that they need to let their house out to an admiral who has recently come upon some money and some other people he's related to. And they're going to go off to Bath and then... There's this two months because the family doesn't really like Anne. They leave her behind. <laughs> um, and it turns out that a man from eight years ago, Captain Wentworth, is back in business. Now, who's Captain Wentworth? Eight years ago, Anne had a flirtation and a proposal that she wanted to accept from a young, poor sailor who since has made a lot of money. But guess what? She said no, because he didn't have a lot of money at the advice of her family friend, Lady Russell. You might say she was persuaded to say no. She was, but he's successful now. It's a good match now. Can she ever look her ex in the face again? Is it too late? Is it too late to apologize? Didn't I? Isn't it? Maybe I misunder misread it. Isn't it that like the the person that they're letting it to is Wentworth's brother? Yeah. So there's a convoluted thing here. They're letting yeah. it to the admiral who mm -hmm. is married to someone who's Wentworth's sister. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's some connection where she, when um, Anne hears who's who they're letting it to, she's like, uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. It. it breaks down to Anne's ex is coming to town. She still has feelings for him. Does he? And also everyone around Anne is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when he comes to town, he starts flirting with younger women. Yes. So she has two um, sister-in-laws yeah. um, that are like, because Anne is um, 27, which is kind of old for marrying at, the, at this time. They're like 18 and 19, the, the, the sister-in-laws and, and Captain Wentworth is flirting with them. Mm -hmm. Anywho, that's the basic plot. Shenanigans ensue. They go to Bath, as you might imagine. All kinds of fun stuff. There's turns to the countryside. You got to go see the sea. All kinds of Jane Austen tropes happen, but that's your basic information you need. Now, here are some elves about what I liked about this particular Jane Austen novel. I actually really liked this setup because while I've only read Northanger Abbey, I have seen through Gillian tons of adaptations of, you know, Sense and Sensibility, Emma, Pride and Prejudice, even some of like Mansfield Park. 
what was different about this was there was some antecedent action that was important. There wasn't like necessarily that question of do these two people like each other? I mean, there sort of is, but it's sort of an interesting dynamic to have a breakup or like two exes, which I don't really associate with Jane Austen, if that makes sense. I totally agree. That was one of the things I liked best about it is because it's such a specific relationship when you run into somebody that like you used to be in love with or you had a relationship with and maybe you're still in love, you know, maybe you're going to get back together. But that doesn't really happen in books so much. So I agree. That was a really cool relationship. Yeah. And it was just kind of cool to see that transplanted to the early 1800s mm-hmm. of being like, oh, man. Yeah, we flirted way back in the day. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I really like that. I like that as a different angle. It wasn't this like, will they or won't they from the very beginning? It was they have. What's going to happen next? <laughs> Another elf is there are some really great characters in this book. Um, Sir Elliot, who's the father, Elizabeth, the older sister, who is the worst, um, <laughs> and the Admiral are all really memorable in their own way. And Mary is the goat of this story. Mary is hilarious. This younger sister who is just unpleasable in any way. <laughs> She's just clueless and has no interest in anybody else besides herself. Yeah, truly just doesn't care what she says and doesn't is not affected by anything else she said. Like she changes her mind mid sentence and like has the firmest opinions on both sides of it at the beginning and end, but that are completely opposite. She's great. Um, so yeah, those characters were super fun. Um, and this feeds into my next elf, which is that the writing style seemed to just be a little more direct and focused than Northanger Abbey, which I guess is to be expected as it's a lot later in her life. She'd written a lot more novels at this point. The The writing showed a little bit more maturity and because of that, it flowed a little bit better. There were less lags for me in the story. Not without lags, but somewhat fewer. Um, But in her Jane Austen way, she still found ways to pile on in kind of the best way. Um, I'm thinking specifically of when she piled on a dead character who died long before the book ever started and isn't that important to the book. (laughs) But still, she says on page 47... This is uh, about Richard, who would be the brother-in-law, but he died and he knew he worked under Captain Wentworth for a while. The real circumstances of this pathetic piece of family history were that the Musgroves had the ill fortune of a very troublesome, hopeless son and the good fortune to lose him before he reached his 20th year, (laughs) that he had been sent to the sea because he was stupid and unmanageable on shore, that he had been very little cared for at any time by his family, though quite as much as he deserved, seldom heard of, and scarcely at all regretted, when the intelligence of his death abroad had worked its way to Uppercross two years later. He had, in fact, though his sisters were now doing all they could for him by calling him poor Richard, been nothing better than a thick-headed, unfair feeling unprofitable Dick Musgrove, who had never done anything to entitle himself more than the abbreviation of his name, living or dead. She does not like him. This guy, he doesn't feature into the story, but she still goes two-footed in on him. (laughs) I hate you, Dick Musgrove. Um, Man, Jane Austen must have been great at eulogies. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was just like a, a fun little wrinkle into what you might expect from like classic literature, just this entirely unnecessary takedown of, of an unimportant character. And to sort of pivot to orcs, but with a little tiny elf still uh, remaining in. A human. A, hu- a, a little human in there. Uh, an orc is that a lot of the book is really predictable. There is, and this is that little elf, one true surprise that I had no idea was coming and was really satisfying when it happened. Because I truly had a moment where I was like, what? I know. I dropped my book and looked to Jillian, who was next to me, and was like, are you kidding me about this? Yeah. (laughs) But So that was fun, because while the book was sort of 
pleasurable and progressing along a, a kind of predictable path to have a true surprise in the middle there was really fun. Well, actually, I th- there are two kind of big surprises. There's another surprise um, in Midway Through where one character just makes a big choice and has <laughs> repercussions. <laughs> has reaper concussions. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, so... Uh, Going into the orcs, like it, it was predictable, which is fine. Um, but when it did lag, it was just because, like, I know that this guy is going to end up being bad. I know this guy is going to end up being good. Let's get to when that happens mm-hmm. at some points. But it was minor. Um, and like maybe I'm a little spoiled by the movie adaptations, but this didn't feel quite as tense or as like steamy as other Austin. And I know that's not really, she's not really steamy. That's not her thing. But like the, there wasn't a lot of tension. And I, so I didn't feel like that, like not in my stomach a lot. Um, and maybe also that has to do with this next orc, which is that Anne is not like the most dope character. Yeah. She is super competent and not like frustrating or like naive or anything. She just like kind of doesn't stand up for herself and observes everything, which I have nothing against her. And I, and I rooted for her the whole time. But like, if you just stood up for yourself, maybe things could have been a little bit different here. Anne. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kind of just like is content to watch things go around her. And then when she's a- asked to act, she, she does the right thing. But it's like, come on, Anne. Take a little bit more of a front foot in your life. I think there's a reason people think of Elizabeth Bennett and Emma, because they are like big characters. People don't, I don't think, bring up Anne Elliot that much as like someone they dress up for two for parties. Also, everyone is into Anne Elliot. Yeah. Everyone. Her? <laughs> Her? Yeah, a tiny other final orc is uh, just kind of a little quibble with the plot that it relies a lot on a new character who comes in kind of from nowhere to have all the answers. Um, if you've read the book, you know who I'm talking about. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. But all that said, I actually had a really good time with this book. I liked it better than Northanger Abbey, um, which I still liked. Um, And so I went with four stars. I still feel like one of the other big hitters of Austin is going to be a five for me. So Mm -hmm. that's part of why I'm holding back on it. But I really did enjoy it. And I'm having a great time with this influx of Austin in my life. Love it. Cool. Yeah, I agree with your uh, review totally. I think I liked it a little less in that I feel often, often I've only read three Jane Austen books, but we're always building to that like second to last chapter where everything comes together. And like you said, it's a little predictable in this one. So you're kind of waiting for that. But once I I got there, I really enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, this is four stars. But honestly, it took me a while to to get there. I didn't like the setup as much. So I'm going to go with three stars. With that said, I'm really looking forward to the rest of the Austins. And and it was one of those that like, I liked it better at the end than at the beginning. So yeah, three stars for me, four stars for you. Gotcha. So the book persuaded you. Exactly. Excellent. On a story graph, would you give this three and a half? Yes, I would. And I will. Ha ha. Ha ha. Not on Goodreads. No half stars. No half stars. Uh, Dylan, do you have any facts about friend of the podcast, Jane Austen? Stone Cold Jane Austen. Um, Stone Cold... Jane Austen. Jane Austen Powers. <laughs> Jane Austen, um, just to recap from last episode, Jane Austen was still born in December 16th, 1775 in Steventon, uh, England. Her family had six boys and two girls. Basically, brothers kept popping up throughout the story. And by the end, it's like, eh, she has a brother for everything. Although half of them are in the Navy. Part of persuasion is based on the career of her her brother, Charles Austin, a Royal Navy officer. Um, there's similarities between them. They both began their careers in North America and they kind of worked the trade. 
um, and their father was a scholar. And for entertainment, they all acted, performed, played music together. So except for they all got real jobs, except for Jane Austen, who basically was kind of living off of their generosity until she was 36. Oh. Um, but Austin completed formal schooling at age 12. I didn't know if that meant she was really smart or if that's just when they stopped teaching girls at the time. Or she's a woman. <laughs> yeah. But she was a voracious reader and she read French romances and gothic novels. Now, here's an interesting thing. I've always wondered, Jane Austen, as you know, died um, single. Yeah. So she has two loves of her life. The first one... James McAvoy. James McAvoy. Uh-huh. Um... So the first object of her love was 20-year-old Tom Lefroy, an Irish nephew of her close friend Anne Lefroy. But knowing that Tom would lose his inheritance if he married a nobody, Ooh. Anne Lefroy, the friend, uh, got Tom out of the country when, their roman- when she started realizing that they were getting romantic. What happened to their friendship? Because that's pretty catty. It's pretty catty. Pretty Jane Austen-y, though. It's pretty catty to be like, I'm going to date your nephew. <laughs> <laughs> also, what's really adorable is when she started writing in November 1797, Jane Austen's father sent a charming letter to Thomas Cattle of the London publisher house, Cattle and Davies, offering an early version of Pride and Prejudice. Cattle turned it down, sight unseen. <laughs> Ice cold. Um, I kind of skipped over a little bit of her career starting off because we kind of covered that in the last episode with the adolescence essays. She kind of got started with shorter stories until she uh, got Sense and Sensibility. But one of my favorite parts about this, Sense and Sensibility was originally titled Eleanor and Marianne and was signed by a lady. Just a lady. Pride and Prejudice was originally titled First Impressions and was signed by the author of Sense and Sensibility. (laughs) So a lot of her books at the time, this is why she wasn't She was famous, but she wasn't like super famous during her lifetime. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. Um, But then, as uh, you guys were mentioning, Persuasion was one of her last novels. And I guess that is a big thing because um, according to literary historian A. Walton Lintz, Um, has emphasized that the special quality of Persuasion is that it was written over a relatively narrow space of two or three years from start to finish. Because usually she had a running um, journal that was like keeping these books. And it was also kind of the fact that she died very close to this. Did she die before she finished it or she finished it and then she died? Unclear. Oh, okay. So she she might have worked more if she had lived longer, but we don't know. She might have been able to fix those orcs. (laughs) But... As you've noticed, a lot of the titles keep changing. Mm-hmm. In this case, the book's title is not Jane Austen's, but it's her brother's Henry's, who named it after her untimely death. Oh, well, to be fair, they use the word persuasion a lot in this book. They really do. It's a fa- it's a fair net title. <laughs> also really sweet, Henry Austen supplied a biographical notice of his sister in which her identity is revealed. So the, they stopped doing the, a lady. But it's after she's dead. It's after she's dead. He wanted to make sure she got credit for this. Well, you know, it preserves her legacy. But this wasn't her final piece of writing. Her final piece of writing was to her sister. Beyond the grave? (laughs) uh, Was to her sister Cassandra three days before her death. The poem was a humorous ditty on England's rainy weather. All right. How did she die? So now we're going to solve Jane Austen's murder. (gasps) Um, So we don't 100% know how she died. She died in 1817. Tuberculosis or cancer are kind of the best guesses. However... Like in 2020, the British Library published a blog post indicating that Austin might have died from cataracts caused by arsenic poisoning. <gasps> so it was murder. 
a lot of things had arsenic at the time. A lot of people were arsenic poisoned. So that's their guess. I bet it was that friend with the nephew. Yeah. So that's part two of the Jane Austen facts saga. Dun, dun, dun. Hey, great job, Dill. Good job, Dilly. Yay. Love you. Love you. <laughs> so that was Persuasion by Jane Austen. Four stars. Oh, actually, that reminds me uh, of a question I wanted to ask both of you. Okay. But actually only one of you. Oh. Uh, Bailey, did you read a book this week? Oh, I did. Do, do, do. I thought so. I read I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are by Rachel Bloom. This is a new book that just came out last year. It is about, um, obviously, Rachel Bloom, the actress, singer, show creator, tour de force, creator of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, and it is a humorous memoir in the vein of like Mindy Kaling or... Um, who else has done it? You know what I mean. Tina Fey. Amy Poehler. Yeah. So I love these kinds of books. I love me a celebrity memoir, especially when it's written by somebody who's funny. On the suggestion of listener Max, I also read a little bit of the audiobook and that was really cool. And I kind of wish I had read the audiobook first (laughs) because Rachel Bloom obviously reads it and she's She's such a great performer and she's so funny and her intonation adds a lot to it. So I would definitely suggest that. And there's also a section that is a musical. Um, You might want to read the audiobook for that or on her website, you can um, listen to it. Um, Just the musical parts, which are very funny. So I like this book. It's a really quick read. It's one of those memoirs that it starts at the beginning of her life, focusing on her awkward like preteen years and when she was bullied and very awkward. I didn't know that she was this awkward um, in middle school. And so I related to that a little bit Um, and then moves all the way through her, her becoming like the star of her um, high school theater productions and then getting into NYU. And when she gets into NYU, everybody else was the star of their plays and what that feels like. And then going from that to being you know, creating crazy ex-girlfriend, etc., and being a YouTube star, which is, I'm sure you guys know how she broke out. So it goes through her entire life, but she uses different genres, different formats to explain those periods in her life. And I thought that that was really interesting. So here's an example. She gives her map of an adult theme park. She gives a reward of every awards show she's attended um, by the quality of the food, parking, the temperature of the room, and how much shapewear is required. Side note, she made me really want to get Spanx because she talks a lot about Spanx. Um, She talks about the night she won the Golden Globe as told from the perspective of her dog, who doesn't care at all. And she she explores Crazy Ex-Girlfriend by going through certain episodes and how she got around censorship so she could talk about, you know, salacious things. So it hits on everything you want to hear about, but it tells those points in interesting ways. And she also relies a lot on really cringeworthy like pieces from her diary when she was a kid or poetry she wrote when she was 12, which really gives a picture of who she is and who she becomes. Another thing is that Dylan was in a Rachel Bloom video. They used, to be, they used to be in an improv team together. And she ha- does have some good shade for the Operate Citizens Brigade, which is where Dylan and I met. Um, we actually both auditioned for UCB at the exact same time and like just talked smack about it afterwards. Yeah. It, she talks in the book about how it feels like she is annoyed by how often she's rejected from UCB, like from improv teams, from sketch teams. And then she said, it seems like they were making up teams just to reject me from, which reminded me of they had like viral video team. No. Yeah. They had a vi- the, one of the things they talked about is they had a video team 
and she was she didn't get onto the video teams and it's like she she has like a youtube hit yeah what are you talking about um so that was kind of cool and so i was just thinking about oh that it was nice that one night we met i met her she seemed very nice and it's fun to read memoirs written by people that are your exact same age so a lot of her like nostalgia points like for example she's talking about having her first kid I can really relate to that. I feel like we're the same age. We're the same body type. (laughs) Um, And so I really like her. I think she's really funny. I can't wait to see what she does next. And I would recommend this one. If you need a quick read, you need a beach read, if you need a new audiobook, four stars. Ooh. Ooh. I thought that was leading to a fiver. I know. I don't know why it wasn't five for me. It's like this kind of genre, I always enjoy it. But in order to get five stars, it has to, I don't know, totally blow you out of the water somehow. Word. Word. Do you have any facts on your old improv partner, Rachel Bloom? Friend of the podcast, Rachel Bloom. (laughs) Yes, I do. So Rachel Bloom's email address is... (laughs) No. Um, Rachel Bloom was born on April 3rd, 1989. Oh, she's younger than me. She's younger than you. When you said that, it's like, well... Oh, no. (laughs) And she's way closer to my age than I am comfortable with. (laughs) Um, But she was born in Manhattan Beach, uh, California. Um, she, she had some interesting, I don't know if it's mentioned in the book, but she was talking about how being raised West Coast Jewish is different than being raised East Coast Jewish. She definitely talks about that. Okay. Um, and I think it kind of covered a lot about her growing up was that she was very shy, awkward, but loved musical theater was a huge deal in her high school musical theater though. So then she went to NYU, as you mentioned, which is, as you know, a university in New York. (laughs) As far as I know, it is the (laughs) New York University. (laughs) She was really actually involved in like the alternative comedy scene in New York at that time, like in the early 2000s when it was blowing up. For example, her roommate was Ilana Glazer from Broad City. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, That's funny because she talks about in this book about how all her roommates must have hated her because she was the worst. Oh, yeah. I wonder if they meant Ilana Glazer. Oh, there may be. She was also the head writer of the Hammercats uh, sketch group of NYU, which is a really famous college sketch group. Uh, in 2010, she wrote and recorded the video for F Me, Ray Bradbury. Yeah, that's a way to say it. And I checked on it, and it has 6.1 million views, which is kind of crazy. But in two th- here's the thing. Young listeners don't understand. Six million views at the time is insane. Huge. That was a lot. Everybody was talking yeah. about this. I know everyone can get a billion views now for playing, you know, Fortnite on their Game Boy. TikToking but... <laughs> up a dance. <laughs> for vaping on a on a <laughs> hoverboard, but um, but it was based on her love of her favorite Ray Bradbury book, The Martian Chronicles. She just really likes that book. Did did Ray Bradbury say anything about what he thought about he it? He loved it. Nice. Um <laughs> And more importantly for a YouTube video, she won a Hugo for it. She won a Hugo for it? Yep. For what category? (laughs) Yeah, what's the category they made up to make this happen? Best YouTube satire. She won a Hugo, whatever. Okay. All right. And then from like 2010 to 2015, she did a lot of comedy stuff in LA, improv. Um, But she was a writer on Alan Gregory, Robot Chicken. Um, But also in 2012, she auditioned for Saturday Night Live with an audition consisting of Catherine Hepburn and Lola Bunny, and she did not get in. Well, that's their loss. Yeah, that's their loss, especially the Lola Bunny. They could have done so many Space Jam sketches. That's true. She she has a bit called Space Jam the Musical that she used to do. I also um, stalked her on Instagram, and she gave birth to the Space Jam song. (laughs) Everybody get up. 
Then in 2015, Aline Brosh McKenna reached out to her, writer of Devil Wears Prada, Prada, Best Movie Ever, Morning Glory. Mm, Dylan loves Morning Glory. Um, but she wanted to make a show with her, a musical show. And crazy enough, Showtime loved it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they directed a half-hour pilot, and it didn't get picked up. So that was a huge dark period in her life. They couldn't find a network that wanted to do a raunchy, expensive musical show. Hour long, yeah. And then Aline Brosh McKenna saw Jane the Virgin and realized, oh, CW could do it. And it was a hit on the CW, a critical hit. It had a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, from what I can tell, a Goodreads for movies. (laughs) You know what Rotten Tomatoes is. Um... And it went on for four seasons. Yeah. And it won a Golden Globe for Best Actress. And a Hugo you know, Award. And a Hugo Award. It won <laughs> It won a bunch of awards, made a bunch of best of, end of lists, including New York Times, best TV shows of that year, which is great because every three of the four years it was on, it was the lowest rated show on the CW, Aww. except for one year where it was the second lowest show. Okay. Um, and here's the thing. It is the lowest rated show ever to have a third and fourth season. Wow. That, like CW actually fought for it to keep on there and also gave her a, a finale. Oh, that's great. So that was really great. Good. She's done a lot of voice work from then. She has done almost eight movies in the three years it's ended. Cool. But she's also been pretty busy this past year having a baby. Yay. And she is currently working on a documentary called Laughing Matters, which is about mental health issues in the comedy world. Cool. But that's, uh, you know, my best friend, Rachel Bloom. <laughs> Yay. All right. Well, I want to be where the normal people are by Rachel Bloom. Four stars. Ch-ch-ch. This week, Dylan did the game. I'm excited. Dylan, do you have a game for us? I do have a game for you. This is going to be called Double Threat and Prejudice. Ooh. Ooh. As you know, uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a musical. Yes. But one huge thing she talked about was she wanted to give a showcase for actors to sing. And so what I did is I got a list of actors that have been in a Jane Austen, either just straight up movie adaptation or something related to Jane Austen. Okay. Love it. Um, And then they have sung in a movie. So some of these aren't musicals, but they sing in it. Okay. Or it's a musical. It's a straight up musical. I have so many answers already. I'm so excited. (laughs) So you're going to give us a name and we give you... So if you want to get the two points from the question, you give me the Jane Austen movie and you give me the thing they sang in. Okay. And is it turn-based? Does Bailey go and then I go? Yes, it is turn-based. Okay. I have 10 questions. So that means the most you can get is 10 points. I'll keep score. Okay. So who wants to go first? Me. (laughs) Question, can we steal? Wouldn't be a Jane Austen thing if you couldn't. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, Andrew, your first one. Lily James. Lily James is in well she's in mama mia here we go again that is correct she's also in cinderella does she sing in that yes she does so i would have taken either of those but you have one point for that and i need to say what else what jane austen movie she appears in yep that's a tougher question i don't know what she appears in um is she very young in pride and prejudice she's very current age in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good call. I would have guessed that she would be like one of the young sisters in the Kira Knightley one. This is a good reminder to, to broaden my horizons because I did forget. I forgot to think about the adjacent stuff. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, Bailey. Yes. You have 
Alan Rickman. Ooh, Alan Rickman. Um, oh, I know this. He doesn't sing in Harry Potter. <laughs> he doesn't. Um, th- there's that love story one where he's the ghost. Is that the one that he sings in that I'm forgetting the name of? No. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to guess that he's in. Oh, he's in Sense and Sensibility. That is correct. Okay. Um, I don't know what he sings in. He dances in the movie A Little Chaos. Does that count? No. Okay. He was in Sweeney Todd. Oh. Oh, I never saw that. Also, he was on the stage musical of Sweeney Todd, too. Okay. I, I mean, I have seen that movie, but I do not remember. Yeah, he pops up as the judge. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Let's see if Andrew can get this curveball. Jim Broadbent. Ooh. Jimmy Brody. Well, he sings in Moulin Rouge. Point for me for that. How do you know? <laughs> um... And what does he appear in? Which which Jane Austen does he appear in? Or which Jane Austen adjacent does he appear in? Uh, Jimmy Brody. I'm going to say he appears in the the Pride and Prejudice again because I can't remember. He kind of appears in it. He appears in Bridget Jones's Diary. Oh. Oh, you are just getting crafty with me. All right. Good, good, good. Cool, cool, cool. All right, Bailey. Yes. There's going to be a hard one. Okay. Brittany Murphy. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Child's play. Okay. Brittany is Murphy is in Clueless. I should have gone second. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an adaptation of Emma. One point. Correct. Correct. Okay. Um, what does Brittany Murphy sing in? Girl Interrupted? No. I don't know. Does she sing in Girl Interrupted? No. Uh, does she have a karaoke se- scene in the Ashton Kutcher vehicle Just Married? Ooh. Mm, uh, no. One of her final movies was Happy Feet. Oh. oh. She's a penguin. She was a penguin. Well, aren't we all penguins? All right, cool, cool, cool. Cool. So, Bailey, what's our score right now? Right now, it's two to two. Ooh. All right. Well, now we're going to start getting hard. Andrew. Yes. Oh, no. This is hard for me, too. Chloe Sevigny? That's how you say her name, right? Chloe Sevigny uh, is in Love and Friendship. That is correct. Um, And she sings in probably a number of things. She does. Um, Brown Bunny. Yeah, man. I... uh, I, I don't have a good guess. I'm sorry. Uh, remember, she sings in Boys Don't Cry randomly. Oh, okay. Oh, I haven't seen Boys Don't Cry. Also, she sings in Party Monster. Oh, I haven't seen that one either. Party Monster, I might have gotten if I thought about it longer. She's in a lot of movies. All right. Julie Walters. Well, she's in Pride and Prejudice. Kara Knightley. Isn't she the mom? She is not the mom in that. Am I thinking of the right woman? Julie Walters is Molly Weasley. Oh, I was thinking of Imelda Stanton. Is Imelda Stanton in Pride and Prejudice? Is she the mom? Anyway, it doesn't matter. (laughs) No. Um, (laughs) I got that wrong. Okay, Julie Walters. I'm going to say she's in Sweet Charity. She's one of the friends in Mamma Mia. Oh, yeah. Um, But she was also in Becoming Jane, the Jane Austen biopic. I could have used Anne Hathaway, but that was too. James McAvoy. Uh, Andrew, Tony Collette. Tony C, my buddy. She sings in Hereditary. No, um, <laughs> does she show up in the in the Angley um, sensibility as well? She does not. Uh, then I'm going to forego what she sings in because I cannot think of it unless she sings in Little Miss Sunshine. Can I steal? Can I steal? Yes, you can steal. Muriel's Wedding. Yes, I'm going to give it to you. She I was, sings. She lip syncs a lot, mm. but she does sing. I get. I I give that to you. That's the one I had originally as well. Okay. She does sing though in Hearts Beat Loud. Oh, yeah. Uh, Carney and Carla is her big musical one she did. Um, but she also sang in About a Boy. Remember, she sings Killing Me Softly. Oh, yeah, yeah. But what Jane Austen was she in? Emma, the 90s one. 
Oh. She was a Harriet. Uh, that tracks. Billy. Yeah. You have Jimmy Smits. Jimmy Smits? In the Heights. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, well, In the Heights is the scene. Oh, there you go. Yes. Oh, wait. Were you joking? Yeah, I was joking. Okay, so. No, I, I get it. I was, that was correct. Andrew, are we allowed to give out points sarcastically? That was correct. Um, one point for me. <laughs> um, I don't know the Jane Austen. He was in the Jane Austen book club. Um, we have two more. Okay. Here's the rule. The Jane Austen movie can't be also what they sing in. Andrew, you have Johnny Flynn. Okay, well, he's in Emma, and he sings in Scrotal Recall. Well, actually, he sings in Stardust. How about that? That's two. So, Bailey, you need to get two points on this last one, right? Mm, yes. Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. Oh, gosh darn it. <laughs> is in Pride and Prejudice. Yep. Yes. He's also in Northanger Abbey. That's true. Um. Okay. I don't think she sings in uh, Lewin Davis. Um. Does she sing in Lewis Davis? You're making a face. I don't think she does. Does she? No, she doesn't. Doesn't. She absolutely doesn't. Okay. He's making a face and staring deeply into my eyes. Um, Carrie Mulligan. An education? No, it's not a thing. Um, Promising Young Woman. Um, Never Let Me Go. I feel like you've gotten enough guesses, Bailey. <laughs> Andrew, do you want to go for the steal? Yeah. Does she sing in uh, Inside Lewin Davis? <laughs> yeah, she sings in Inside Lewin Davis. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew! <laughs> You can't have been tipped off by Dylan looking at you and making eye contact. <laughs> it was just weird that you went off the bat. So I guess that means Andrew wins, even though Bailey had the victory in her grasp. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she sings in Inside Lewin Davis. She sings uh, 500 Miles. Oh, yeah, um, she's one of the singers. Yes, she's a singer in Inside Lewin Davis. <laughs> Sorry, Bailey. I was convinced you were not going to listen to me and you were going to take the meaningful eye contact your husband was giving you. I thought your meaningful eye contact mean, meant no, no, she doesn't. <laughs> okay, well, Andrew wins, I guess. That was fun. Um, she also sang in Far From the Maddening Crowd and Shame. So that means Andrew's the winner. Yay. Yay. L- legit, I wasn't going to, I was doubting myself. This is a lesson to you all, Pejos. Never doubt yourself. Toby, never doubt yourself. Yeah, Toby. Let your light shine. <laughs> okay. Um, Dylan, you're the star of this episode. This is now your segment as well. <laughs> this is the Dylan Show. <laughs> um, it's time for you to choose books at random from our shelves to read next. It's time for The Choosening. The Choosening. The Choosening. For Bailey, unlike before, this isn't a game. Because Bailey. What? You have very few words to describe this book. Number 10. Uh-oh. Cormac McCarthy. Blood Meridian. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, hey, it's on your list. All right. I hear this one's very dark. Here we go. Yay. I'm sure it'll be bloody. <laughs> what does Andrew have? Yeah, tell me. Tell me, Dylan. Andrew, I know you've had like two weeks of Jane Austen, so you wanted to kind of like lay off 19th century female writers. Yeah. Hate 19th century female writers. <laughs> That's why we're giving you number 96. Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. <gasps> it's me. Ooh. It's Kathy. The I Come Home. Ba, da, 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 da. I'm excited for this. I've been meaning to read this for a long time. Yeah, I was hoping for maybe a newer a newer book, a more contemporary author, but hey, I'll take it. Wuthering Heights is also on my list, so I'm going to read it too, Andrew. Double books. It's me. It's Kathy. Come home now. Okay, anyway, so that means next episode, I will be covering Blood Meridian by our friend Cormac McCarthy. I don't know why he's our friend. Friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. <laughs> and Toby is reading The Book of Ultimate Truths by Robert Rankin. Listen, Pages, you need to look up the image of this book. You have to look at the front cover because it's nuts. And then in a month, we'll be doing Wuthering, Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights. Da, 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 da. In the Heights. Wuthering Heights. <laughs> Jimmy Smith's 
Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the to read list podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the to read list podcast on Instagram at the to read list podcast and on Storygraph at the to read list podcast. Ho ho, a bonus. And as a bonus for us, why don't you, uh, if you haven't already, take some time and rate us five stars on your podcatcher of choice, specifically Apple iTunes, and leave a review while you're at it. It does weirdly help the algorithms make us more popular, and popularity is what it is all about if we've taken nothing from all of the books we've read, (laughs) mysterious, reflective, etc. Also, another great way for us to find new listeners is through word of mouth. So if you have a book loving friend who you think might dig this podcast, tell them about it. And that's our best way of finding new people. And it seems like that's how a lot of people have found the podcast. So we appreciate you if you've already done that and uh, keep on going. Hey, that's very persuasive. Thanks to Andrew and Dylan for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Toby for following his dreams, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. You got to say it, Dylan. Yay.